Well, good morning. One correction is pronounced Bell Rive. Uh, most people, whenever I would call them a business or something, they say, is it Bell Reeve? Is it River? I'm like, no, there's not a missing R. So it's Bell Rive. I want to thank you for the opportunity to come here to speak to you this morning. And um, when my family was here last week, or a couple weeks ago, we felt really welcome. Just want to appreciate and thank everybody for that, uh, making us feel welcome, part of the family here as we were visiting. Um, some time ago, I was talking with a friend of mine, and his name's Cooper. And we were talking about different religions. Um, he's an individual who believes it doesn't matter what you believe. He uh, actually enjoys studying world faiths, and not just you know any branch of what you call Christianity or Catholicism, but he wants to study the Buddhism, um, even the Norse gods he wants to study, because he's intrigued by it. And he says, I don't see where anybody is wrong in what they do. Matter of fact, I work with a young man who actually worships the Norse god Loki. And I've not got to talk to him about it, but I don't understand how that's possible, you know, the god of mischief in their religion. But we got to talking, and he told me that, you know, he was amazed that there's actually schools out there that offer a degree that you can get in this book right here. I said, why is that? He said, well, because, first of all, I don't believe this book. I said, why? He said, well, it was written by a bunch of men. And when you have a book written by men, they have ulterior motives. They have an agenda. And I just can't believe a book that's written by a bunch of men. And that's when I had the opportunity to chime up and say, well, that's where faith comes in. That's where we have to just believe what's written in here and where God said that this book was written by men, inspired by the Holy Spirit, who were led by God. And we just have to believe that. He says, I just can't believe that. So that's what I want to talk about this morning for a little bit, is the idea of faith. And I like to use illustrations. So this morning I have an illustration for you. Some of you have probably seen this illustration, so bear with me if you have. But I have here just basically a big old piece of rope. And as I go through my lesson this morning, I want you to remember what we talk about with this rope. And I'm going to go back to it every now and then. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tie a small knot in this rope. And we're just going to have just a knot in this rope. Right here. Just a rope with a knot in it. But this right here, is, this whole rope is going, to ex is going to represent our life. And the first part right here is our life here on earth. This is how many years we live as we're here on this earth. There are some people that when they get to their knot, which is their day that they die, their number is big. There's a gentleman that I knew back in Illinois, and when he got to his knot, he was 101 years old. When I was in high school, a friend of mine, his name is Jeremy, six days before his 16th birthday, he came to his knot. He was riding his bicycle, and he was T-boned by a motorcycle. The gentleman was drunk, doing about 80 miles an hour, hit him, knocked him 100 yards, now he's dead. There's some people that live to be in their 50s, in their 60s. Some people live to be in their 80s. And the number is different for different people, but this represents the time we spend on earth. Now this, all of this here, represents eternity. How long we're going to be in heaven. Or the alternative. So what we're going to talk about this morning is faith and looking at our faith in God and the way we walk our lives every day. What happens here will be determined by what we do here. So, keep that in mind. So first of all, if you will, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. 
Acts chapter 2. And when you think about faith in God, when you think about the action, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing with the Word of God. What is faith? And a lot of times I hear people say, well, I'm a member of the such and such faith. And I go to the such and such faith. And that's not a true statement. Faith is not something that we are a part of. Faith is something that is a part of us. And here in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 36, after Peter and the apostles had preached the first gospel sermon here on day of Pentecost, he said, Therefore, because of everything you just said, let all the house of Israel know, know surely that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. First point, when it comes to faith, when it comes to this lifeline right here, faith is something that we have to choose ourselves. It's not something I do to impress somebody. I don't do it to impress some, you know, you don't do it to impress some young lady. You don't do it to impress some young man. You don't do it because your parents. I didn't become a Christian because my dad did. It was a choice that I made because it's an individual relationship. So faith is something that we have to choose, something we have to choose as an individual so that during this lifetime, I've got this faith in God, I'm walking with God, I know what the rest of this is going to be. So first of all, it's a choice that we make on our own, not something that somebody does for us. Now turn, if we will, back to Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 24. verse that we probably all know well, Joshua 24, verse 14 and verse 15. Here Joshua says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river, and in Egypt, serve the Lord. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, and the gods of the Amorites, and whose land you dwelled. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua made a choice. And it's a choice that I'm going to... The point here is, we choose to become a child of God. Nobody tells us what we need to do. They can't push us to it. Matter of fact, I have an example for that. When my grandmother was 12 years old, she was going to some church, and they had a big revival going on that week. And when they were singing the invitation song, someone grabbed my grandmother by the arm and they drug her down the aisle because they wanted her to be baptized. She's 12. It's, it's time. She's at that right age. They drug her down the aisle. She did not want to do it. She was fighting. She was resisting going against them. Got up there. They left her with the preacher. And at 12 years old, she looked, her, looked him dead in the eye and said, this isn't going to be do me or you any good. Because I don't want this. When it comes to be 
choosing to be a child of God is something we have to do individually. But also, it's something we have to choose to do daily. Because there's so many things out there that will try to pull us away from God that we have to choose to remain faithfully, faithful daily. Just like he says here, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is something we have to choose on a daily basis. Now, if we will, turn to Revelation. Revelation, chapter 2. And again, this is the verse that we all know. And, and again, going back to this, I know it's just a silly illustration. It's just a little rope. But when I see things like this, it really makes me think. When I look at this and I see how short this is, how short life can be, versus how long eternity is, what kind of choices do I need to make? You know, there's a lot of people in this world that make choices, and they're not what I would consider, what you would see in the Scriptures, consider the right choices, the right things to do in life. And you know, in the end, where you're going to go. Another gentleman I worked with, I was talking to him one time, and he's got a tattoo right here on his arm. He says, only God can judge me. And I was talking to him. I said, that must scare you to death. He says, no, I know where I'm going. I'm going to hell. I'm not worried about it. I said, that should really scare you. Nobody wants to go to hell. He said, I ought to be all right. I said, no. I said, don't you realize what that is going to be like? It's not a place where, you know, like the Hollywood and cartoons have depicted where Satan is down there and he's ruling. He's going to be suffering with everybody else. It's a place of torment eternally. And this life is so short that when I make choices in this life, I need to make sure that they are choices. They're going to take me here with God forever. Forever. And here in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. That's this entire length right here. That's how long we're supposed to stay faithful. Now, there's some people in this world that they, they start their Christian journey, or they start their life here, and then right here, Christian journey. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow God. Then they're going along and going along. like, you know what? I really don't like the way that this is going. I'm not having as much fun as I used to. And they step away from God. They, they push God out of the picture. And then they live for themselves and live for themselves. And then they stop and realize, you know what? I do need to make a change. I, I've got to make some changes in my life. I've got to get back right with God. So they get back right with God. And they live life and live life. And then they stop again. You know what? This life really isn't what I thought it was going to be. And they decide, you know, I'm just going to do what I want to for now. And they keep going and keep going, and they get to their knot. They get to the end of that life. And when they get to that point, they weren't living for God. They weren't doing things to please Him. They weren't doing things to prepare for this. What's the end result going to be? We know what the end result's going to be. We're going to stand before God, and we're going to be judged according to the things that we've done, the way we lived our life. And it's not going to be an eternal life that we want. So just like he was telling them here, when he says, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. It's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong commitment. Faithful until the day we die. You know, I've, 
I can think about my life and I can think about the things that happened, the things I did, things I participated in prior to becoming a child of God. And then I get to the point where I became a child of God. And I can tell you this. It's been the wildest, craziest roller coaster adventure I've ever been on. I know some people don't like roller coasters. If you don't like roller coasters, I can tell you, it's, it's wild. It's crazy. There, there's times when you're climbing the hill, everything looks good. You see the beautiful sky, but then you get to the top, and you start falling down. You start going through loops, and your stomach gets twisted and turned inside knots. Think about a roller coaster ride. That's what this Christian journey is like. It's ups and downs. It's good times. It's bad times. But in the end, it will be worth it. It will be worth it because of where we're going. Now, if we will, turn back a few pages to James. Book of James, chapter 1. I've got a couple verses to go along with this one. As far as the idea of faith, what does faith look like? What kind of life is it? James, chapter 1, verse 27, last verse, says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. I want to focus on that last verse there. To keep oneself unspotted from the world. Faith consists of living a pure life. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of things in this world we can participate in. A lot of things we can do. You know, I understand several of you went uh, kayaking yesterday. It's a great activity. Fun. Get together with, with brothers and sisters in Christ and go out in the water and have a good time. Have adventures. I don't know if anybody got dumped in the river. I'm sure some did. That usually happens. But there's a lot of things we can do. But there's also a lot of things that are out in this world that can try to test our faith. That can pull us away from God. Things that Satan will put in front of us every single day in order to try to get us to quit. It is our responsibility before we do those things to stop and think first. Stop and think first. Is that something that will benefit my life here and later? If not, it's not something I need to participate in. So the question is, where's the answer for how do I live this pure life? Turn if you go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2. Here Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So first of all, he talks about a living sacrifice. How do we live this pure life? How do we live this life of faith to God? Well, he says right here, a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. The word sacrifice, in my understanding, simply means to give up something in exchange for something better. We give up this life here on earth in exchange for a life better in heaven. And how do we do that? He said holy. That word holy means separate and apart. Separate from the world. And how do we do that? Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. The idea of us being a big old pile of Play-Doh and all these influencers coming in from the world and they are molding us into what they want us to be. And whenever people look at us, they see us as no different than the rest of the world. They see us just like them. It's kind of like the illustration I heard one time where 
uh, someone from church goes and visits one of their member, one of the other church members at work, and they go in and they start talking, and they ask, "Hey, are you going to be coming to the gospel meeting we're having this week?" And another coworker is listening, and chimes in and says, uh, "They go to church because they're not acting like it in the workplace. They've been conformed to the world." They look like the world. They sound like the world. They act like the world. But he says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Be transformed. Be changed. The idea of the caterpillar to the butterfly. Best illustration that we have. The caterpillar, when it changes, gets in that chrysalis and transforms into that butterfly, the beautiful butterfly, it doesn't look the same. It doesn't act the same. It doesn't eat the same foods. It doesn't hang out with the same types of bugs. When we become a child of God and we choose to live a faithful life to God, we change. We transform. We shouldn't act the same. We shouldn't look the same. There should be a glow on our face because we know where we were headed and now we know where we're going. We don't talk the same. We may hang out with the same people, but we try to find other people to influence us to get closer to God. And the answer on how to do that is the very next phrase he says. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you renew your mind, you renew something, you make it new again. Basically, you're changing what goes in so that what comes out is different. It may be the entertainment world. It may be the, the music and the movies and the TV shows. The entertainment that's out there. We may change what we're listening to. I remember being here a couple weeks ago and your Sunday evening speaker was talking about you know, swearing and, and language. And he says he no longer listens to or watches rated R movies because of the language. That, there's that influence. I work in a factory. I cannot control what other people say. But I can control when I hit that button and click the television or choose to go watch a movie of what I listen to. I'm changing what's going in. I'm renewing my mind so that what comes out is different. We need to make sure that we are living a pure life because that pure life is right here. If we live a pure life right here and we're transforming right here, we know what this result's going to be. But if we allow the world to conform us to what it wants us to be, then we know the end result here. It's not going to be one that we want. We need to make sure that our faith in God, our walk with God, we are transforming, we are changing every day. And then he gives the reason for it. He says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can prove to the world around you what the will of God is. Not trying to pat myself on the back here, but at work, over time, I have finally got to the point when people are talking in my presence, if they slip up a word, they'll apologize. And they'll change it. Because I've told them flat out, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that language. I don't have to hear that. Some say, hey, you know what, if I was in back, your backyard, I'd change my language, but we're not in your backyard, and they just still go on and do it. But people need to know what we're about and who we're about. Because this is where my faith lies. And then finally, in 2 Timothy, if you want to turn there with me. 2 Timothy, chapter 1. So look the idea that faith is a life 
You know, faith is something that we have to choose. Something we choose daily. It's something that we don't do sporadically. It's something that is a lifelong journey, like we read there in Revelation. The life of faith is something that we need to make sure that is a life of purity and we're completely transforming our lives. And this last one here, 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 3 and go through some of this. And Paul, talking to the young man, the young preacher Timothy, says these words, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. Man of faith here. I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with, you, with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So when Paul's talking, he's saying, I see the faith that's in you. I know it was in your grandmother, and it was in your mother, and those two women influenced him. He didn't choose to be faithful to God because his grandmother and his mother were. He chose it because he saw what it was about. He saw what that life was about. He says, verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For, the God, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, because of these things, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of God. And a lot of times, whenever we're walking this life of faith, sometimes we don't say we're ashamed, but by the way we act and the things that we do, we show that we are ashamed because we don't stand up for what we know is right. He says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me, His prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. He said, Who has called us, who has saved us, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. You think about that. This life of faith. This salvation. God knew long before time even began that this was going to be needed. And people were going to fall away from Him. And people are going to need a way to get back. People are going to need a way to gap that bridge that was left there between God and mankind. And He put Jesus on a cross. And that's how He gapped that bridge. He says, But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality and light through the Gospel. Paul says, To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Now this life we're talking about, this life of faith, it needs to be a life of conviction. We need to be convicted all the time about what we've done. And here Paul makes that statement. He says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. He's not ashamed of what he's done. Sometimes we can live this life for God, we can live this life of faith, and we can be ashamed of the things that we do, just by our actions, or more or less, by our inactions, what we don't do, what we don't say that we should. He says, I am not ashamed. He says, for I know whom I have believed. He didn't say, I'm 
pretty confident who I believe. I think I know I believe. He said, I know whom I have believed. I know God. I believe God. I believe in the things that I've been told and the things I've been preaching. I'm convicted of these things. He says, and am persuaded. He fully believes that He, God, is able to keep which I have committed to Him, which is His eternal life, His soul. Committed to Him until that day. He believes that God is able to keep that which He's committed to Him until that day. That being His soul. His faith in God. I believe with all my heart. I am convicted that this is the right life. This is what I need to do. Faith in God Faith in His Word. Faith in His plan. That is something that we need to really consider and we really need to think about. You think about this world that we live in. And when we talk about here, faith. A lot of times you hear people say, I'm a member of the such and such faith. And in the back of my mind, I'm screaming, no, you're not. No, you're not. Because faith is not something that you are a part of. Faith is something that's a part of you. And if it truly is a part of you, you'll know it by the way you act, by the way you react, by the way you don't act or don't react, by the way you're living your life. And when you're living that life, other people will know that that is a part of you. They'll see something different about you. So as we come to a close here, think about this lifeline here. And think about this knot. I plan on living to be a hundred. That's my goal in life, is to live to be 100 years old. I was born on the in the bicentennial year of this country, and I like to see the tricentennial. I like to live to be 100 years old, 2076. After that, I'm good. I'm done. But I don't know if that will ever happen. I don't know what will happen. Because there's so many things that, have hap that happen in life, so many things that can happen in life. Let me give you one experience that really scared me to death, and I didn't know if I was going to live or die. Several years ago, I was down in Belize, Central America, and we were doing some mission work down there. And we drove a van into the village that we were going to work in. It was 100 miles. It took us six hours because of the road. So we decided to take a plane back. We took a plane back, a little six-seat, six-passenger Cessna, and the pilot got in, the biggest guy got in the front, the next two biggest guys got in the middle, all the luggage in the tail, and me and my dad, being the smallest guys, got in the back, and that plane did this number. Nose up in the air. The pilot told my dad to get out. So my dad climbed out, and the pilot got out, and the plane did this. It leveled out. The pilot went around, and he talked to our group, and nothing else was taken out of the plane. The pilot got in, and my dad got in, and the plane did this. It wasn't sitting like this, like it was morning. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. So we start taxiing off this dirt road with all kinds of potholes in it, and we're going along, and I turn around and look, and the guy who was our boat guide, I kid you not, was behind the plane, holding it up, running down the runway with it. <laughs> After we finally leveled off, I hollered at the pilot. I said, hey. He said, what? Aren't we going to need him when we land? He's like, no, we'll, ha we'll have enough force thrust that whenever we land, the, the plane will level out, we'll be fine. And sure enough, we were. But I wasn't sure we were going to make it. I wasn't sure. And see, there's all kinds of things like that can happen in life. And we don't know when this knot is going to come. We don't know when the end of our life is going to come. And we need to make sure that we are ready now. So think about your own life. 
And if you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've never had your sins washed away, I encourage you to do that when we sing this song and come forward. Because like I said, this life right here, we don't know when it's going to end. And we need to make sure that we're living our life right. I hope that I have an opportunity sometime to talk to my friend Cooper at work and convince him of this here. And that, yeah, you may not trust that book. That's fine. That's where faith comes in. I just have to believe what was said. So if you're here and you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, just know this. He died for your sins. And the reason he did that is because he loves you. He loves you and he wants you to be with him in heaven. If you're ready to take that step, for are assist you. Or if you're here and you are a child of God, and you've been living your life for God. But then you get to the point where you decide, you know what? Not so much. And you're putting on a facade. People think you're living for God, but you're really not. You need the prayers of the church in order to strengthen your life, in order to get back with God. So that when we do get to our night, we can have this in eternity. Why don't you come now, as we stand, and as we sing.